Well, good morning. If you've ever been on a trip to an unfamiliar place, then you know the value of a good map. Now, some of you don't use maps. I understand that. You uh, just go with your gut, figure it out on the way. But if you're like me, you love maps. I'm kind of that way. I, uh, I like to study maps. I chart my course before the trip. I plan my stops along the way. I actually like to study the layout of the destination, like the streets and the city that I'm going so that I am oriented once I get there. Don't look like a tourist. So that's me. But, you know, maps are a very uh, powerful tool when used properly. Problem, though, is that maps don't always get us to where we need to go. And that's usually not a problem with the map. It's usually a problem with us. You see, maybe we didn't look at the map at all, or maybe we didn't look carefully at the map, or maybe we didn't read it correctly, or maybe we looked at it, but we forgot what we saw. Now, fortunately for us, most of us have GPS apps, right, that tell us exactly where to go, and that's extremely helpful, except when that little voice leads us astray. We've been there before, right? So a couple years ago, I was on a trip in, uh, to Minneapolis with some staff colleagues of mine. And uh, on the way home, one of my colleagues was driving, and he shall remain nameless. But uh, I was a little confused on our way home because the way we were going on the way home was different than the way we went on the way up. You see, on the way up, we took I-35. But on the way home, we were on a different highway that took us through Rochester. But I was okay with that because I could see he was following his GPS and we were still heading south, so all was good. And then that little voice in the GPS app told him to turn. And he turned off the highway onto a gravel road. <laughs> and that's when we knew we were going the wrong way. <laughs> now, in my colleague's defense, and as he pointed out, we were still heading south. I just think it would have taken us a while to get from Rochester to Burlington going gravel roads. So maps can be helpful if we read them, if we interpret them correctly, if we remember what they say, if we actually take the correct turns that we're supposed to take, and if that little voice inside our phones doesn't lead us astray. Imagine now that you've got to go on an impossible, dangerous journey hundreds of miles away to a place you have never been before and you've got a map and you've got a directions that you cannot follow. And if you take a single wrong turn on this journey, it will lead to your death. Are you feeling good that you've got a map? Are you feeling confident in your ability to arrive at your destination? What would be really helpful in this situation? What, I mean, what do you really want? How about someone to go with you who knows the way? How about someone who's been there before? How about someone who knows every single twist and turn and peak and valley? How about even better yet, the one who made the map. How about the one who actually charted the course? If he's going with you, do you really need the map? 
You see, we don't need a map and directions that we can't follow when we have the one who knows the way and who will get us to our destination guaranteed. In our passage today, Galatians chapter two, you can go ahead and turn there now. We're gonna be in Galatians chapter two, verses 17 through 21. The apostle Paul is responding to some criticism from people who still prefer the map. You see, they, they think the map maker, Jesus, they think he's insufficient to get them to where they're going. They think they still need the map or the law. They think they're bound to follow it and they are foolishly confident in their ability to actually do so. So if you recall last week, we read about the drama between Peter and Paul and the church in Antioch. Peter was in Antioch visiting the church there. And at this church, there were Jewish believers in Jesus. There were also Gentile or non-Jewish believers in Jesus. These are all Christians. And Peter, as a Jewish Christian, he was eating with among the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And he was eating things that would have been forbidden to him under the Mosaic or Old Testament law. Things like bacon-wrapped shrimp, if you remember last week. And then some men came on the scene in Antioch, some men who believed that true Christians must still follow the law and Peter was sinning by eating these unclean foods with these unclean Gentile sinners. And Peter, what did he do? He, he wilted under this peer pressure. He backs away. He, he no longer eats with the Gentiles. And Paul, his brother in the Lord, is hot. He is super upset about this because Peter was not in step with the gospel, which is that everyone... Everyone is justified or declared righteous, has right standing with God, Jew or Gentile, everyone by the grace of God through faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So Paul calls Peter out. He confronts him publicly. He says to him, we read this last week, verse 15 of chapter 2. Paul says to Peter, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you eat bacon-wrapped shrimp or you don't. You're a sinner. You're a sinner who deserves the wrath of God, but you are declared righteous by God and spared his wrath, not because you actually are righteous, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And it's credited to you by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. You're saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that was last week. That was verses 15 and 16. This week, 
starting in verse 17. Paul, he's responding to an argument that was made against him by these ones who are clinging to the law, these map lovers, these ones that don't believe that Christ is sufficient for them. They thought the law was still binding on them. And they're coming back at Paul. They're coming at him with a a criticism, an argument that goes something like this. Okay, well, Paul, if you're saying that you can violate the law by eating with these Gentiles because you have this freedom in Christ, well, then really, Paul, you're just making Christ out to be a servant of sin. You're making Jesus out to be a servant of sin. You see, they're they're accusing Paul not only of sinning by violating the law, but also of blasphemy by using Jesus as his reason for doing so. So let's read Paul's response. Starting in verse 17 of Galatians chapter two, Paul says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, If we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be the transgressor. Paul's saying he's not using his freedom in Christ to sin and and that his, his eating with Gentiles, it isn't really a sin, even if it does violate the law. In fact, he's saying just the opposite is true. He's saying if if he were to rebuild what he tore down, that is if he were to reimpose the law over himself, then he would be the sinner. You see, Paul's turning the tables on them. He's saying it's not not him who's sinning by breaking the law. It's they who are sinning by trying to reimpose the law on themselves and on others. Now, why? Why is that the case? Why is Paul saying this? I mean, these these are bold claims, right? Remember, the law is from God. The law is good because it's from God. God gave the law to his children, the Jewish people. It's from him. So how could it be a sin to consider yourself and others to be under the law? Because in doing so, in putting the law back on yourself, you are undoing. You are overturning Everything that Jesus Christ accomplished for you. Let's read the rest of our passage, starting in verse 19. Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Brothers and sisters, these are glorious truths packed in these three verses. 19, 20, and 21 have some of the most profound truths in all of scripture. And unfortunately, we don't have time to probe the depths of each and every one of them this morning. But thankfully, Paul will unpack these truths himself throughout the rest of his letter in Galatians. So if you hang with us through this Galatians sermon series, we are going to revisit these things again. But on this morning, we're gonna focus on two things from our passage. We're gonna focus on our union with Christ, a believer's union with Christ and what that means for how we relate to the law today. Our union with Christ and what that means for how we as Christians relate to the law today. So first, let's consider verse 19 carefully. Paul says that through the law, he died to the law. Okay, now Paul, is he still breathing? (laughs) Is he still writing this letter? Yes. So what does he mean when he says that he died through and to the law? Let's start with through. So if you recall in your Old Testament, you know that the law, it promised all sorts of amazing blessings to God's people for following the law. But it promised all sorts of horrific curses to God's people for disobeying, not following the law. And these curses, they included, among other things, sickness, slavery, death. You can read those for yourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 28. The problem for God's people is that they did not and they really could not follow the law. Psalm 53 says, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. Are there any who seek after God? They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So all of God's people blow it when it comes to following the law. None of them can follow the the map and the directions in the way they need to follow it to get to their destination. They're all under the death curse of the law. And we're, we're, you guys are smart here. We're smart here at the Burlington campus, are we not? So I, I know some of you Burlingtonians, you're thinking, well, I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. I've never been under the law. Oh, contraire. Paul says in Romans chapter two, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. 
So have you sinned, Burlingtonians? Yes, 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 you have. Yes, I have. So even us Gentiles who have never been under the Mosaic law of the Jewish people, we nevertheless are a law unto ourselves and we are destined to perish according to that law because of our sins against God. So that means that all of mankind is under the death curse of the law. And Paul is saying that through that curse, through the law, he, Paul, has died. But again, how? How has he died? He's still living. He's still breathing. He's still eating. He's still writing. How can he say that he's dead? When Paul says that he's died, when Paul says that he has been crucified with Christ, he is unveiling, he is explaining, he is declaring one of the most profound mysteries of our faith. And that is that every believer in Jesus Christ, every believer in Jesus Christ is united to Christ. By God's grace, through faith in Christ, you are united to Christ. That means, that means we are united with him in his death. That means we are united with him in his resurrection. We're united with him right now, even in his ascension and session on his throne in heaven Ephesians chapter two says, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Right now, that's true of you who are in Christ. So is the law binding on Paul or on us who are in Christ? No, why? Because we're dead. We're dead. The law has already executed its death sentence on Christ. And because we are united in Christ, it's as if we have died too. The law has no claim over us who are in Christ because we're already dead. Romans 7.1, Paul says, Don't you know, brothers, that the law is only binding on a person as long as he lives. And we're dead. We're dead to the law. We're dead in Christ. That's a beautiful thing, amen? amen. You didn't think you'd come to church this morning celebrating your death, did you? <laughs> well, it's worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating our death to the law because not only does that mean that the death penalty has been paid, but also that we are now alive in Christ and we are free to live for him. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. You see, apart from Christ, 
we were hopelessly unable to do the good that the law requires and that God calls us to do. We were slaves to our sin. We're on a gravel road in Minnesota going nowhere. But now in Christ, by grace through faith, we've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? If you're a believer in Christ, Christ lives in you. When you believe in Christ, you receive his Holy Spirit in you. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and now a holy God can come and take up residence in you as his holy temple. That's who you are. That's what you are. You are a temple of God who lives in you through faith in Christ. And if Christ, if Jesus Christ who is sinless, who fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law, all those requirements that we can't do, couldn't do, every twist and turn on that map we can't follow, Christ fulfilled them all. And if he lives in you, do you think he will give you the power to live in a way that is pleasing to him? He will. Yes, you have been declared righteous, You've been declared righteous by God through your faith in Christ. And now because Christ is in you through that same faith, you have the power to live out the righteousness that is already yours in Christ. Woo. I mean, is that not a good thing? All right. Amen. Paul, Paul lays this out, summarizes it well in Romans 7, 4 through 6. It's going to be up on the screen for you. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Brothers and sisters, apart from Christ, you cannot bear fruit for God. You can't. You can't. But now in Christ, because Christ lives in you, you can you can, you can. That's why it would be a sin for Paul. And that's why it would be a sin for us to put the law back over ourselves, to rebuild what Christ himself tore down in his body on the cross because under the law, we were powerless to please God. But through the death of Christ and through our resurrection in Christ, through our faith in Christ, we have Christ in us. We are clothed with his righteousness and his power works in us and through us in his spirit to bear fruit for his glory. I think we could just go home right now. My cup is full. I don't know about you, my cup is full. But it runneth over, there's a little bit more. (laughs) 
Uh, so that, uh, this life in Christ, this life that's pleasing to God, it's not, it's not possible in ourselves. And to think otherwise is to render Christ's death meaningless. So if you see verse 21 there, Paul says, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see, the very reason he died was to save you from your bondage to sin so that you might belong to him and live in a way that's pleasing to him. He died so that you could be in him and he could be in you. So that is some good truth. We could go home right now, filled up. We are united to him. It's no longer Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. But I do still want to talk about how then we relate as Christians to the law. I think that's really important in our passage this morning to to unpack a little bit. So after all, the law is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture, so that's all scripture, even the law, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those are all good things. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the law is scripture. The law is still profitable. And so it's for us to uncover how it's still unprofitable. In the law, in the law, which is the word of God, you can still, believer in Christ, learn a whole host of things about who God is and what does and does not please him. Because remember now, Christ saved you so that you would live to God. And in the law, even in the law, yes, you can learn a whole host of things about who God is and what does and does not please him. And that can be very helpful for you and for all of us on this journey of faith. So as we go on our way through life, the law can show us some roads that we definitely do and definitely do not want to go down. So for example, I think Jesus is leading all of us down the thou shalt not murder highway. I really hope you agree with that. And I think we are definitely going to want to take thou shalt not steal bypass in order to avoid the downtown traffic known as jail. So these are some roads that Jesus is definitely leading us down. But There are other roads in the law that we we might not and really as believers should not travel down. So for example, in our passage, Paul, he was eating with Gentiles. And so Jesus, we know, did not want Paul to drive down, don't eat pork lane. That was not open to Paul. Now it was on the law map, but it wasn't for Paul to travel. You see, we don't have to travel down every single road of the law because we are dead to the law and we are in Christ. Christ is in us and he is leading us in the new way of his spirit. So how then do we know the difference? How do we know the difference between these roads that Jesus would have us travel and the roads he would not? Well, thankfully, 
God kind of simplified it for us. Jesus said that all the law, all the law can be summed up in two commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's out of Matthew chapter 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love others. Those two commands are the very heart of the law. It's what it's all about. They're like our, it's like our North Star, our North Star, always orienting us to the way we need to go on our journey through life. So we know that God is pleased when we love him and we know that he is pleased when we love others. And now Christian, you are free in Christ to do things that express your love for God and your love for others. And Christian, he reveals to you how you are to love him and how you can love others through his word. And Christian, he now lives in you. The, Jesus is the incarnate word of God and the, and the word himself lives in you through his spirit and he empowers you to actually do the things that are pleasing to him that you learn about in his word and that you do want to do because you belong to him. That's pretty cool, huh? I mean, this is a pretty good life, amen? Let's apply this new paradigm, this new framework in which we are now living to a specific example. And we'll take the example from our passage. So Jesus, he didn't lead Paul down don't eat pork lane because not eating pork with the Gentiles would not have been loving to them and it would not have been loving to God because it did not recognize the unity of the spirit that Jesus purchased with his blood. You see the, the food laws, the cleanliness laws that you read about in the Old Testament, they were put in place to demonstrate, to be a symbol of, to show the separation of God and his people from the rest of the world. You see, God is holy and they were to be a holy chosen people. And these food and cleanliness laws symbolize that, represented that separation. But now, but now in Christ, because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, everyone, everyone is forgiven through faith in Christ. Everyone is cleansed through faith in Christ and all are now united in one spirit, Jews and Gentiles alike, all united in one spirit by grace through faith into one big happy family. That is the new reality that we now live in. And so God's people don't have to go down, don't eat pork lane because things are different now. Things are just different now. We're dead to the law. We belong to Christ. He leads us in his ways, in his love for his glory.
Paul says this life, this is verse 20. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I wanna, I wanna leave you with an image this morning of what I think this looks like. So the other day, I was dropping off my son James at Sunnyside Elementary. Now James is only three, but he goes to Sunnyside once a week to work with a, a lovely speech therapist. And uh, so I, I pull up to the curb there at the visitor's entrance and I, I get out and I, I go to the back door, I open James's door and he slides out and he's standing there. He's in his camo jacket. And I've got in my hands his doggy backpack. If you know James, you know he doesn't really go anywhere without the Dalmatian doggy backpack. And so I, I stra- slide those straps on, on each of his arms. And he's standing there and he's looking straight ahead. He knows where he's going. And he does this. He wasn't going to take one step without me holding his hand. He knew where he was going. He wanted to get there. But he wasn't going to take one step along his way without me, his dad, holding his hand. So I think that, I think that's it, folks. (laughs) I think that's a beautiful picture of what this looks like to now live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and who died for you. You see, he's there. He's always there. No matter how many times I forget, he's there. He's in you. He's with you. He's ready to take your hand and lead you down the ways that he would have you to go. And because he loves you, because he gave himself for you, you can trust him with everything. All of us who believe in Jesus, all of us are on our way to heaven. And he's already there. And we're united to him. So he is going to lead us home. In the meantime, in the meantime, no matter what path in this life he leads you down, he's there. No matter how dark that valley is, he's there. No matter what enemy comes your way, he's there. No matter if you pull your hand back and start going your own way, he's there. He's there patiently waiting for you to turn back to him. He might might let you go on your own way for a while to learn some lessons. But you know what? When you fall down, when you're in the ditch, he's there to bend over, pick you up, take your hand and to lead you once again on his way. That's what living this life by faith in the Son of God is all about. 
holding out your hand and taking the hand of Jesus who is in you. So heaven is our destination, church. And this word is our compass, church. And his love is our North Star. And we are all fellow travelers in this together, in one spirit, in Christ. And Christ Jesus himself is our strength and he is our guide and he is living in us through his spirit, by his grace, through our faith. And this is all, this is all for his glory. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray.